We're going to be back in Matthew chapter 8, so I'd invite you to turn to Matthew 8. It's where we left off in the spring, so it seems highly appropriate just to pick right up where we left off, just to jump right back into this gospel and get into the flow. Matthew is uh, opening up the ministry of Jesus in particular, focusing on his healing ministry. And we have some prayer requests that we're praying uh, regarding people in the hospital. And people think about sickness and healing all the time now, maybe in a way that they haven't before in your lifetime. Things are dramatic. We don't always know what to believe, what we hear over the news and with different agendas, where are we supposed to go, how are we supposed to be, what's supposed to happen um, in our community. One thing is true, though, where the world will have a lack of integrity at times, not saying always, but our Sinkhurst world has agendas and influences that we can't always trust. We have to discern, right? Jesus always has integrity, Jesus is perfect. Jesus is Lord over everyone. He is Lord over those who are healthy at levels and those who are sick and even gravely ill. He is Lord over all things. He is God and he is completely trustworthy in every situation with every dynamic. He's the only one that we can truly trust and we have access to Jesus as believers and access that's not shared with the world And so it's important for us to be steadied by Jesus, who is the author of life and who is the healer. Just to catch you back up, he's been healing people in Matthew 8. We see that he healed the leper. Remember, he reached out and touched someone who ceremonially was unclean and someone who didn't make Jesus unclean, Jesus made clean. So he is healing. He's about this work. And then there's the servants of the centurion who run up and say there's the centurion's request for his servant, someone who is beloved to him to be healed. He's going to um, die and he's sick to death. And Jesus didn't have to go to that house. You know, he was honoring the servant's greater faith or real genuine faith to see that Jesus is someone who doesn't even need to go to the house to heal the centurion's servant, and he was healed. And then we're going to learn today of Peter's home and the home of his mother-in-law, which I've titled this sermon Heaven's Home because heaven comes down. Jesus, in the intimacy of a small group community in this house, heals Peter's mother-in-law, which then opens up heaven to the rest of Jerusalem where everyone is showing up all through Capernaum, I should say. Thousands are showing up to be healed at this door house, this doorstep of this house. It's amazing. And Jesus is breaking all kinds of traditions. He's, he's working through all kinds of things that are taboo for all, for all kinds of people. He's healing the leper, who someone that you wouldn't even come in contact with. It's like the walking dead. He's going right up to that person and healing that person. 
Ceremonially, Jesus would have been unclean, but Jesus is the Lord of the law. He's the fulfillment of it all, so he's the healer. He's the reason for cleanness and purity, and he's proving that. Secondly, he's healing the centurion servant, an antagonistic Roman government that was against the Jews, and Jesus is just going right into that situation, healing that servant. Now he's going to, in the intimacy of a a home, walk in and touch this infirmed, fevered, dying woman and raise her up to full and complete strength. You know, a, a male Jew in that day would have prayed a prayer something like this, Lord, I'm waking up and I thank you that I am not like those. I'm, I'm not a Gentile. I thank you for that. And I'm not a slave. I thank you for that. And I'm not a woman. I thank you for that. And Jesus just, he's breaking all that apart and saying, look, I'm going in and I'm healing everyone. I don't care what people think. I'm the fulfillment of the law. I'm the savior and I'm bringing heaven to earth through these healings. This is the kingdom of God on display, showing us who Jesus is as the one who is all powerful, authority over all sickness. He's the Lord over everyone, male, female, doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, he's the Lord over it all. But really what Matthew is zeroing in on here in our text that we're going to read, just a few verses, is Jesus's integrity, integrity. Jesus is the same in private as he is in public. Jesus is on whether he's in front of the masses or he's just in a home with a few people. Jesus has perfect integrity. He's perfectly trustworthy and he pours out love and power as the ultimate servant with full integrity. There is a lot of bizarre stuff that is coming through the media waves that we wonder about, right? We wonder if we're being lied to about a lot of things. We're not being lied to by Jesus. Jesus is the real thing. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way to God because he is God. So let me just show how Jesus' integrity is manifest, both both in private ministry and public. Look at verse 14 of chapter 8. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand. And the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. You know, with the threat of COVID, the talk of COVID, the talk of uh, debate over vaccinations, we need to know the one to go to, and we need to know the reason why we're going to Jesus. We go to Jesus not to just correct things politically. That would be pretty superficial. We're not going to Jesus to save America, per se. We know that he can right wrongs and do anything in our lifetime, but that's not our main agenda Our main agenda is not for Jesus to eradicate COVID. He could just stop all of that madness in a moment or any other disease or any other sickness. We pray for people to be healed. We pray for supernatural healing, and we do that for loved ones. But ultimately, that can't be our 
final motivation for coming to Jesus. You know why we come to Jesus? We come to Jesus because he is the only one that solves the cause for all of the ills and effects of what's wrong with our world. Jesus solves the cause for what's wrong with you and me. He solves the cause of what is wrong with everything that's going wrong in our world that we live in. So when Jesus heals and we see his great healing ministry, we need to remember that at the foundation of all of his healing ministry is he's coming as the savior to solve sin. Sin is what brings the effects of the maladies that people are suffering in this world, in that time and our time. Sin causes these effects and Jesus primarily, first and foremost, solves the cause. If he doesn't solve your sin in your lifetime, you won't receive the health and wholeness of heaven for eternity. We're all going to be healed. We're all going to be made right. We're all going to go into heaven's home. That's what this is. This is a window of heaven. It's a portal of heaven. We're all going to Peter's house, or at least what this foreshadows. We're all going to heaven. We're all going into the presence of Jesus where there's no more dying, No more sickness, no more crying, and no more demons. We're all going there. But it's because he solves sin in our lives. He's the Savior, and he has the integrity to bring on all comers. Anyone who will come to him, he will no wise cast out. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. I will give you rest. This is the call of salvation to the world. And he does it in full integrity, reaching out to a woman infirmed, in privacy, and then with full public, the full public barrage of people, not just hundreds. Mark's gospel in parallel says the whole city, the whole city of Capernaum is there all around the Sea of Galilee. They're all showing up. They've heard this woman was dying and she is at full strength with a touch. How that got out shows how amazingly sick she was and how amazingly and comprehensively and miraculously and instantaneously she was healed and everybody wanted in. They all wanted in. We're going to learn about this. This is Jesus' full integrity on display. This is something we need to know about. Life is short. Life is a vapor, appears for a little while, vanishes away. If you talk to people who are in their 70s, they know that life is a vapor. I was talking to somebody, new guest, first hour about... Life and when this person graduated from high school, you know, you just get into these conversations and I'm thinking, I graduated 10, 20 years before what she just said. And, you know, life, life is going by in 10-year handfuls and we're going to face the Lord and we're going towards heaven. We need to know the one who brings heaven to our lives. Jesus brought heaven to this home through two modes of healing. If you're taking notes, two modes of healing, it's full integrity with a private healing and full integrity with a public healing. Look at verse 14. It says, when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He saw her. This is a full house. Um, probably, uh, Peter's house. And when you think of Peter, don't think of just someone who had a small house. He probably had a moderately sized house. He was a fisherman, but probably a commercial fisherman is how to think of him. Not a day laborer, but a businessman and fisherman and, and um, provider. He was married because he had a mother-in-law. When you get married, you, the family kind of 
comes as a package deal, right? And uh, so he's taking care of her. She could have been widowed. We don't know. And uh, the parallel account in Mark chapter 129, it says it's the house of Simon and Andrew. So you have Peter, you have a mother-in-law, you have Simon, Andrew, you have probably kids. You have a full house of people there. This is the base of operations for Jesus around the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had no place to lay his head. He had no home. He never owned one. And so this was his base of operations here in Peter's home. Peter was married. He's breaking through all the, this, these texts break through all the Catholic tradition that through the line of Peter, you have the popes and, and priests who are to be celibate and unmarried. Well, Peter was married. Peter was married. John Paul made it clear in 1 Corinthians 9, 5 also that he was married. It says, do, you know, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? This is an apostle, Paul, who was single. He's saying you have the right to take a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Even Peter is married. That's what he's saying. Clement of Alexandria said that, and this is legend, but that Peter's wife died in the same context when when Peter died, they were both martyred for the faith, and Peter saw his wife um, martyred in faith. That is, uh, we don't know if that's verified. We know also that um, it's documented that Peter was, was crucified upside down. Um, they, it, the idea is that Peter and his wife were strong believers. Um, Peter was taking care of his mother-in-law. I don't think he would have left in ministry um, had his mother-in-law, had he known his mother-in-law was lying in this sick condition, um, in that um, day and age, you didn't lay down or lie down, correct English, you didn't lie down when, uh, when you just had a cold. <laughs> you kept going. So this lady is lying down because she has a, what Luke, Dr. Luke calls in Luke chapter 4, a mega fever, a mega fire is what it literally says in the original language, it was a high fever. She is needing to go to the ER. This is a high-pitch, life-threatening fever where her body cannot self-regulate. And you understand even these days where people are coming down with high fevers and in need of care, they probably found her um, with the spontaneity of coming in the house. Verse 14, Jesus saw his mother-in-law lying sick. It's as if he didn't know that she was sick, and there, there they are, and they're coming in. You have Simon, you have um, Simon Peter, you have Andrew, you have James and John um, there, the parallel accounts say, and you have Jesus, and there's an appeal for Jesus to do something to help this woman. It's a woman who... Um, needed help immediately. Mark, Mark's account says Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John came in with Jesus. Luke says they appealed to him on her behalf, Luke 4.38. And then Mark says immediately they told him about her. It's dire, it's urgent, it's, um, it's life and death. We don't know what she had. We, didn't, we don't know if she had anemia, typhoid, Malta. These Malta, these were diseases of the day. Could be malaria in the marshlands um, surrounding the Sea of Galilee. We know there were no antibiotics and there were no vaccines. So for 1,700 years post that time, there weren't vaccines. Ed Jenner, Dr. Edward Jenner, uh, made the first vaccine for smallpox in 1796. Louis Pasteur, you know that name, invented the rabies vaccine in 1885. She was in bad shape. But back to the integrity of the Lord. This, he's, he's coming out of a hard day. 
Um, William Barclay talks about how every time that Jesus excised a demon, which he had just done, Mark's gospel chapter one gives the account where it's on the Sabbath. He's preaching and teaching. He's expending energy. He's laboring the Lord. We know he's been healing people. And every time he casts a demon out or he's healing someone, power is going from him. Just like the woman who touched the hem of the garment, he says, I sensed power left me. Um, He was exhausted. He was tired. But this woman was front and center in his mind and was a priority for him to minister to her needs. This was not too small of a moment. It wasn't a nuisance. He was there to heal this woman in her cottage providentially by divine appointment. And you know in life and ministry when you are exhausted, right? When you're tired. And yes, there are temptations for, for some, maybe, maybe many who say, I just want to stop, I want to quit. Kind of depends your temperament and things, I know. But if you will rely on the Holy Spirit for extra strength, to be renewed, to be sustained, to be propelled in ministry, you'll find that that strength is there. Just try. I mean, we are, we are living post-Pentecost. We are, we are his temple and we are filled and indwelt, and we are called to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, to submit to him and to see his power working in and through us. This is the same Holy Spirit that was moving Jesus along in ministry, and he was recovering to help this woman who was living in an infirmed condition in a fallen world. Again, the cause is sin. She didn't do anything to make herself sick. This wasn't her fault. She just was sick because she had fallen prey to what's gone wrong in our world. And Jesus took this seriously. Luke's account uh, says that he stood over her, stood over her. Um, The account here is talking about how he touched her hand, verse 15, touched her hand. He raised her up. Luke and Mark talk about these are intimate Phrases. He rebuked the fever and the fever left her, took her by the hand. She was incapacitated and then Jesus broke through and healed her. Touching this woman would have broken cultural norms, but it was not illegal. She was ceremonially unclean according to the law, um, but Jesus made her clean. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the picture of heaven coming down. He's the point of what the law was pointing to. He was bringing grace. Anytime someone is healed in this way, either in Jesus' day or today, it's comprehensive, meaning it's complete. Someone's not recovering from mono, not having to do physical therapy. A supernatural intervention is what God does and only can be attested to God's work. But even if you are healed in this life, even this woman who was healed was still, and I just want you to catch this, still only temporarily healed. She was not brought to superhero status where she's bulletproof from disease. You could literally be healed instantaneously, comprehensively, and then be killed the next day for whatever reason. Or you could succumb to a far worse disease or a far worse end. Healing is not the point of this life. Healing has come to reveal things about who Jesus is. But more importantly, it's to remind us that Jesus is the one who can solve the cause, not just the effect of sin. He solves it. He gives the temporary reset for those who are affected by the curse. And he touched 
this woman and healed her and his power was enacted through the touch of Jesus. What did she do when she was healed? This is important to see. Matthew is making a very clear point. The fever left her. The fever would have been synonymous with the disease. Um, the, Luke's account, Luke 4, he rebuked the fever. The fever is personified as if it is the malady of, in and of itself. They didn't know the difference between the um, symptom and the, the um, physical cause. But the fever left her. It was immediate, and she rose and began to serve him. Now, the other accounts, Mark and Luke's account, talk about him, her serving them. So she's serving everybody. But her focus is on who? Her focus is on Christ. She's serving Christ. What better thing to do than to serve Christ? And the, the driving motivation is I've been, I've been restored. I, I've been renewed. My strength was gone. My hope was, was I was hopeless. And now I'm filled with hope. Now I'm filled with strength. And now I'm filled with a focus to serve Jesus. And you can just see this woman get up and serve and say, how can I help? What can I do? How can I celebrate who you are and that you're here? That's the focus. It's, it's what we should be about in our own hearts. I mean, we've, we're touched, whether through physical healing, but more importantly, through spiritual healing. We've been made whole. We've been restored. We've been reconciled. We've been made right with God. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been washed. We've been, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been renewed, at least in spiritual vigor. Perhaps your body is failing, but your spirit is alive. And so what do you do? You say, I'm, I'm standing up, I'm raised up, and I will serve my Lord Jesus. That's why you serve. You don't just serve because I give you a card to check, you know, something off to say you'll serve. You serve because you want to. The desire is born in you to do that like this woman. One person put it this way. This woman, Peter's mother-in-law, was saved to serve. You've been saved to serve. Um, We too see our Savior as the one who comes into our house He restores our broken lives that are ensconced in this broken body, right? And in that restoration, we serve Christ. Salvation is just as immediate as this healing, and it's just as comprehensive. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he does this work in our lives, raising us up spiritually. Let me ask this question. How sick was this woman? She was sick unto death. How Astounding was this miracle, enough for the whispers to get out of the cottage and go into Capernaum and have the whole city show up for, for want of what Jesus had given this woman. We want what you gave her to be given to me or to my friend who is sick to death also, who's dying of a fever, who needs help, who is hopeless. We, they're bringing their friends to the door for help. The demonized, those who are, who, are, who are controlled by demons, who are convulsing in violence by demonic oppression. Those who have no hope need this hope of Jesus. And so we're moving from the private healing ministry of Jesus to the perfect integrity of the public healing of Jesus. Now, is Jesus' public ministry less humble than his private ministry? I say not. Jesus could say, listen, I'm tired. 
I've cast a demon out already at synagogue, and now I've gone through this day. It's the morning, moving to the afternoon. I found um, Peter's mother-in-law. I've healed her, and now people are knocking on the door. We'll have to wait till tomorrow. No. His humility and his integrity is seen in his willingness to just say, let's just keep serving. Let's just keep going and moving forward through this evening. It's what he does. Healing, his healing is coming out of his attitude of humility. True integrity begins with attitude that flows into action. Word got out about this extraordinary event. It's a once-in-a-lifetime happening. Heaven had come down. Heaven's home was here. It was a portal into heaven, and Jesus became highly sought after in this moment. We know with the all the COVID scare and all the different people who've been sick or infirmed or even are um, have died, that people have a survival instinct. That's what's happening here. People want to survive. And we need to point people to Jesus these days. We need to say that we might not have all the solutions. We not, might not have all the answers to the politics or the agendas or the dynamics, but we know Jesus. We know someone you can trust and who will help you. And at the very least, will solve your heart condition. If you don't solve sin in this life, then you will not solve for eternity in the next People wanted Jesus to deal with their demons, and the masses were gathering. Why were they gathering in the evening? It, Matthew explicitly says they gathered that evening, verse 16. They brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. They waited till evening because they were waiting for the Sabbath day to end. That's why. Why, why did they care? Well, they were superstitious. They didn't see the point of the Sabbath. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He healed on the Sabbath. He cast demons out on the Sabbath. The tradition of the law said you couldn't lift lift two figs on the Sabbath. You could help somebody who was bleeding out on the Sabbath and stop the bleeding, but then you couldn't help them anymore. You could stop the bleeding, you keep them from dying, but you couldn't help them live until the next day. That was the superstitious, legalistic application of the Sabbath, the wrong application. Exodus 31, 14 was clear to say everyone who profanes it shall be put to death, but people were misunderstanding the liberty and freedom that's found in obeying because of Jesus. It all pointed to the Messiah. Jesus had rebuked an unclean spirit. All this would have been forbidden by them, but he is our Sabbath rest Luke says the sun was setting. No one had a clock or, you know, I don't think they had an iPhone clock or anything back in that day. What they had was the sky. And so it would get dark. And um, by tradition, when two stars were visible in the sky, then the Sabbath was over. So the two stars show up, one, up two. Now we're rushing to the door. They want in. They want Jesus to help them. The Sabbath is over. It says evening, they brought him many oppressed by demons. This is an unparalleled event of deliverance and healings in heaven. So this would have been like seeing um, Jesus pull back his flesh at Mount Transfiguration. This was glory on display. Healing events were profound events where charlatans and people who fake um, have fake conferences for healing events. I still see those, you know, popping up here and there, tent meetings and things. That's all blasphemy. It's garbage. 
that profanes the Lord. And be not deceived, it's always all about the money. It's all about the money. It's money-making. You're tapping in, they're tapping into people's survival instinct, and they're giving a false gospel or no gospel, an antichrist thing, and they're tricking people through placebo effect and faking people out to believe that they're healed when they're really not. That's not what this is. This is, this is heaven on earth. There was a three-year concentration of healings that were happening, but really there were only 37 accounts through all of the Gospels of miracle events, only 37 in three years. So they're profound, they're amazing, but it's not just miracle ministry because it's about Jesus solving the cause that really solves the effects of sin in heaven. If you reference all of the scripture about Jesus healings. There's 90 accounts, um, 90 references to Jesus healing uh, ministry, even the healings that were through the 70 and the 12 apostles. So 90 references to what was going on. Jesus, he, he proposed or he chose particular locations to show what heaven would be like. And when Jesus healed this woman, it spawned a movement that was happening. Everybody's gathering, and you have people with uh, physical maladies and people who were demonized, meaning they were cruelly tormented, controlled bodily, demons speaking through them, thrown into convulsions. Remember the boy that was demonized, throwing himself into the water and the fire, people given to violence, people who were mute, who couldn't speak? What is all this? I, on vacation, actually uh, encountered someone who I believe was demon-possessed. I've seen people who I believe were demon-possessed and controlled in this way. How do we discern that? What do we do about that? Well, when someone is speaking lies and saying they are God or speaking false um, gospel messages and proclaiming themselves to be deity, um, that's, that's a pretty good clue. Uh, you, if you know Scripture, you know when someone is going contra to Scripture. And it's not something to be taken lightly. You know, I... I'm not fearful of um, demons, but I do, I am cautious about what could happen. You know, it's like I don't fear death, but I don't wish it. You wish for it either. You know, it's, it's just that, you know, greater is he who is in you who's, than he who's in the world, but he's still in the world and he's still a roaring lion prowling around. He's still shooting and launching flaming darts. There's still false teachings, false spirits, false ideologies that we have to destroy, that we have to discern. Second Corinthians 10.5, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. This is warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities. There are lies that are pervasive, that are demonic-driven lies. There are Satan's whispers are going into people's ears all the time, and we need to discern truth and appeal to the integrity of Christ. Christ is the real thing. He's the real one who, whom we can trust, the only one we can trust, really. And so we, we confront demonized people with truth. We confront people with word ministry, with gospel ministry. All the counterfeits that say they confront demons are just that. They're, they're speaking nothing that's doing anything at all. Demons... Once cast out, Mark one thirty four. if you flip over there and look at the cross-reference of this account, once they were cast out, they were not permitted to speak. Verse 34 of Mark 1, many demons were cast out. He would not permit the demons to speak. 
Um, even Luke 4, 41, it says the demons also came out of many. This is the same account crying, you are the son of God. And he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. Now, why did he say this? Why did he not permit them to speak truth? Well, Jesus didn't want a demonic endorsement. Demon endorsement. Why? Well, I think Satan is very conniving and very skilled at deceiving people. We know that to be true. We're warned to resist the devil and he will flee from us. We're warned by the account of how Eve was quite deceived by Satan. Well, why does Jesus not want them to speak about him as the son of God when he's just cast him out? Jesus' presence, by the way, exposed the demons. And I, I believe demons are around and, and in our world. And Jesus' specific presence is what exposed them. And so as he casts them out, which is ballistic, it's calling, it's literally throwing the demon out of the person. When that demon came out, it would speak. And Jesus was saying, you can't speak. I'm hushing your hype. Why? Because demons are promoting what I would call demon faith. Um, James chapter 2 says, even the demons believe and shudder. That's half faith that does not get you to heaven but sends you to hell. Half faith. He's the son of God. It's hyping Jesus. People can say Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the answer to our world and our problems. Jesus is going to solve everything. And they don't believe in Jesus at all. You have all kinds of promoting Jesus without promoting commitment to Jesus, where we're solving sin by saying it's only by grace and I'm repenting of sin and I'm giving my life to Jesus, you as Lord. That's a far cry from these movements that will talk about religion or Christianity solving anything at all. I think that there are movements that will syncretize, synchronize, um, politics with Christianity in a way that can be used by the devil to distract people, where people are looking for political reform or moral reform in the name of Christianity that distracts people from the truth of the gospel. We're not living for this world to be saved. Um, We want people to be saved from this world. See the difference? That's a subtle difference. Satan is given purview to be the God of this world, the God of these ideologies, the God of everything that is false. I really, I I grieve for and grow weary of at times the roller coaster ride that people go on where they're saying, why is this world acting the way that it's acting? Why are there so many lies out there? Why is that person now duplicitous? Why did that person tell a lie? It's because there are satanic agendas being pushed out there all the time. I'm all for the right political candidate, the right political representative being in governing authority positions and for us to have Christians in government. I'm all for that. And I'm all for the the temporary blessing of people who are standing for truth in political arenas or or even business positions or, or whatever. But I'm not putting my hope ultimately there. 
My hope is in Christ. My hope is in a world and a kingdom that is to come, a new heavens and a new earth that I'll be part of. Jesus is saying that. When, think about the messianic secret. When That's what theologians call the, the occasions where Jesus would heal somebody. We're going to learn about how he cast out the legions out of uh, the two demoniacs on the other side in Gennesaret. And, and he says, don't tell anybody that I did that. He heals people and says, don't tell anybody. Why? Because he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to be believed on for hype, for things that inspire people. And people are very impressionable and very inspired by moral reform. Let's leave America in, in a great place for my grandkids. But then they have no thought at all about your grandkids' soul or spiritual condition. We want to solve for heaven, we want to solve the cause of what's wrong with our world before we're solving the world and the effects of the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? I just think it's important for us to keep the main thing, the main thing, and that's solving with the gospel first and foremost. Half faith is no faith at all. Think about Paul in Acts 16 when there was the woman who was the diviner and she was behind him and he had messed up her business and called her out. And she's walking behind him in Acts 16, 17, following Paul, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing for many, this for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. It's just hushing the hype. There's such an easy path to slip into compromise where people will, they'll synchronize with um, cult groups, you know, Christians and Mormons coming together and saying we're, we're trying to morally reform things and it's dangerous. Second John 1 says, verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the gospel teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. That helps me a lot when people come up, Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, and they want to sell me something and then slip in their false gospel. And I'm like, yeah, I really don't have time for this. Sorry. But you say, isn't that a great opportunity to get into debates and go back and forth? I not, that's not the way I apply this. I, I say I really don't have time. I'm not going to give you a greeting. I'm not going to engage you. It's a false doctrine. It's demonic stuff that you want to protect yourself from. Jesus' healing promise, by the way, this healing promise that happened for these people, it's guaranteed for all believers. It just might not happen in this life, but it will happen in the next life this evening of heaven is powerful. And if you look at verse 16, it's, it's powerful with a word. It says, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick with a word. When you are standing before God one day with a word, he'll say, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. With a word, he saves you. He's no respecter of persons. It was thousands who were coming. It was comprehensive healing. It was for everyone. All demons and all disease were banished. Salvation for everyone who would come. I 
This was all happening in a small corner of the world. But guess what? Salvation is for anyone and everyone in our world. Revelation 21, I just want to read this. Verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and sea was no, the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Listen, what's going to happen in the new heavens and the new earth? Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. All of this emphasis, by the way, is wrapped up in a single verse reference of Isaiah. And we see it here quoted in verse 17 of Matthew 8. Look at this. It says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, two things are going on here to make one point. First of all, this is a prediction of Jesus who was coming as the suffering servant, and it's a prediction of his ministry from Isaiah 53. You can't read Isaiah 53 and as a Christian miss all the specific parallels about who Jesus was, who he was going to be. These are, this is a prophecy and prediction of Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus came, and it predicted with precision exactly what Jesus was going to do how he was going to minister, and that he was going to be the suffering servant. The full fulfillment of the Messiah is found between Isaiah 53 and the gospel accounts. But the point of Isaiah 53 is not first and foremost his healing ministry, but his saving ministry. He's the suffering servant who saves us. Now, don't miss the compassion that he bore the he took our illnesses and bore our diseases that's what he's doing all night long and in peter's house he's bearing these things to all comers he's doing all this outpouring himself to them but this is not a pragmatic promise to be applied by charlatans with word faith healing movements that's not what this is about the, promise, the, the real promise to all of us from Scripture is we're all going to die. We're all going to die, unless we're raptured. We're all going to die. It's a 100% guarantee. But, but all believers are going to be healed by his stripes we're healed. Healed in the gospel. That's the point of this healing evening, this, this window into heaven. It's that we are healed spiritually. We're healed spiritually. You say, but it doesn't make sense when we see people dying that we love and we want to be healed in this life. It doesn't make sense to us. And I get that. Think of Isaiah. He, he makes this promise about Jesus, the Messiah, that's going to heal and carry all the diseases. He made it hundreds of years before Jesus actually fulfilled it at Peter's house, right? Hundreds of years. This is not a pragmatic promise. This is a prophecy that was precisely fulfilled to prove that Jesus is God with full integrity to heal ultimately the cause of our sickness, which is to redeem us. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse, 
It's written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree, 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that, he might, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And then here's a direct quote from Isaiah 53. By his wounds we have been healed. Peter, who was there at his house watching this healing ministry happen all night long, then took it later and wrote it in a letter and said, this is really about Jesus bearing our sins in his body on a tree so we can die to sin and live to righteousness. We've been healed by the cross, healed spiritually. How does this apply within the church? I'm gonna bring this this home because I think this is super important. Jesus isn't doing magic in that house and he's not doing magic here today. He's a savior. And how does he minister salvation in this house, well, it's through giving the gospel. When you know people who need Christ, who are coming to the door, lining up, tell them about Jesus. By divine appointment, don't be seduced into the guilt of, man, I should have shared more or done this or done that. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and as conversations open up, share about Jesus. Encourage someone. Pray for someone. Pray with someone. You're sitting there, oh, should I make the phone call or not? It's going to be awkward. Make the phone call. Oh, should I say, can I pray for you or not? Can I pray with you? Hey, can I remind you of this promise in scripture? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God is on your side. You might be being attacked by Satan right now. Resist him and he'll flee. He'll run from you. God is for you. Who can be against you? God will strengthen you. He'll see you through this malady, this trial, this sickness. All of those things are enjoying heaven's home here on earth now. The kingdom of God is on earth in his church. And it reminds us of a kingdom that we're going to. Peter, Peter's mother-in-law was healed and she served. Our hearts are healed and we rise up and we serve each other. This is the message of grace. Jesus through grace solves everything that is wrong in your life and is wrong with you and is wrong with me. And he solves everything that's wrong with this world. And ultimately he will.